Hello, welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I am here today with both brothers, Christian Lewis and Jeremy Sartori, and we are talking about our albums of the year for 2020. I uh, had a quick anecdote I wanted to share at the beginning of this, because back in the... uh, Back in the beanbag and ping pong foosball table uh, littered uh, dot com boom, I uh, I went to work for a dot com, and one of the questions I was asked in my job interview was, if I put on your headphones right now, what would I hear? Which is such a dot com kind of a question, and I said, well, in one ear you'd hear the Clash, and the other ear you you'd hear Burt Bacharach, and. Uh, that combination actually debuted this year in one of my favorite albums. So uh, stay tuned, and I'll let you know which one that is. Um, but yeah, remember that Clash in one ear, Burt Bacharach in the other. What a clever boy I was. Anyway, noted. Uh, we're counting down the top twenty-one albums of twenty twenty, and uh, Christian, you've got a. Uh, you want to introduce the uh, twenty-one through sixteen albums and give us a little rundown. Sure. As always, we have put a lot of effort into making sure that this is, you know, mathematically correct. Um, so, like in in tradition, uh, we've we've actually got twenty one albums on our on our list of uh, top twenty albums of the year, um, which is kind of a carryover from um, from the first year when I was still uh, s- still learning how to use Excel. But uh, I guess. We are to kick things off, you know, gonna gonna break this into like four sort of sections. And since apparently I'm the only one who's figured out how to game the list, meaning that like you need to, you know, if if you if you want somebody to get on the list who uh, isn't gonna get support from either of the two other other brothers, then then obviously you're gonna have to rank it pretty highly. And in my experience, that means uh, rank it somewhere in, in sort of like the three to eight range, because when we compile all the scores from our three different lists and tally up the totals, uh, usually it, it comes, you know, it, it basically the, the point values um, range from from like 300 down to, I don't know, 60 or so. So, so basically um, in the spirit of 2020, you've rigged the election. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly so mass right. voter fraud in this yes. list. Uh, and in the spirit of American democracy, I've rigged the election now for like the fifth time, but it's the first time anybody's noticed. Oh, no. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. all right. So we will kick this off with... Um, uh, hold oh, on, hold oh. on. I need to interrupt before we before you kick off the uh, 21 countdown. We should throw out uh, just a couple albums each or an album each that uh, we were disappointed that didn't make it. Honorable mentions. Great idea. Yeah. Well, I will take the liberty of going first, and uh, I will tell you that the ones I was most disappointed did not make the list uh, because it was uh, rigged uh, were probably my Laura Marling album, uh, Songs for Our Daughters, which is a really beautiful uh, record. And um, the Eve Toomer record, I think, is, is fantastic. And then a new discovery from our Christianized father's hometown a band called Magic Gang, which is as dorky as the band itself, but uh, they put out a great sort of album that was very reminiscent of the Style Council, mid-80s, kind of blue-eyed, northern soul. So, um, you know, go out, run out and grab those records if you can. Uh, Christian, what are your honorable mentions? Sure. So, I mean, I think there, there's always a, a always an interesting way of, of approaching this, which is to talk about the ones that I think probably most deserve to be on the list that aren't on the list. So, you know, with that, I, I've got to say, like, Megan Thee Stallion is probably a pretty pretty glaring omission here, just given the way she's sort of swept uh, swept trap by by force and and, and really uh, really done a, a pretty incredible job to build a profile and just the sort of raw attitude and, and raw power of uh, of, of her um, of, of her game but I think um, you know the, the sort of personal omissions that that like I'm sad to see not make it I, I can I'll limit it to three one is is empty country whom we've talked about before on this podcast uh, in, in one of our what are you listening to sessions so I would definitely encourage people to uh, to check out this self-titled album which is uh, which is made by the the sort of protege of, of a friend of the podcast Charles Bissell and uh, and and former lead 
singer and writer of uh, of cymbal seat guitars. In addition, you know, I've just got a soft spot for Jeff Rosenstock and basically every guy like him. Um, there's a certain uh, certain sort of catharsis that that you see uh, every time somebody like that gets on stage, um, and it's just it's so earnest how much he loves to play uh, and and lead a show. And you've got to think that a year like this is absolutely you know, killing everybody in that ilk of, uh, of, of musician who are just, who, who could not more authentically be doing it for the crowd and for the fans. Yeah. I think I, I always throw him in with like the OCs and, um, and, uh, you know, Alex James. Titus Andronicus. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just gotta be absolutely fucking brutal for, for those people not to be able to play for us. And, uh, and so, you know, I just, just sort of want to say, Look, it's it's hard for us too. So, uh, and then and then the last one I would toss out, you know, I think in a funny way actually, uh, is sort of in the same vein as as that Jeff Rosenstock pick, but from the other end of the street at the uh, dance club, and that is uh, Roisin Murphy, whose album this year, Roisin Machine, um, which is an awesome name, was really good. And and I think like, I like for that. for anybody who's kind of missing missing some some dance floor beats, like. It's a it's a pretty great way to sort of get your head bopping and um, really a pretty a pretty impressive album that I could I just kept listening to it and thinking man I bet everyone in LCD Sound System fucking loves this yeah she's been around for quite a while and and still doing great stuff so um, just like you Linda, a good record. You know. Yeah, Jerry. What are your what are the couple that you you thought belong? Yeah, but, so um, just a few. I mean, I agree with you guys on a, as a whole. All those albums. Um, we're great. And also, uh, you know, shout out to Rosenstock for being so damn consistently good. The only one I would, I would disagree with is that Laura Marlene, um, win that you like so much, but, uh, the ones for me that I was kind of bummed out, I guess I did not stuff the ballot box enough for Dua Lipa, the future nostalgia record, which, um, you know, is is one of the first, uh, Hey, it's just, I think it's the best pop record of the year. When you you name checked it early on, and then my my daughter sort of brought it into our, our house and and played it nonstop all year, and it's just a it's a fun great dance record. But I think kind of took the reins from um, you know, an Ariana Grande this year is just putting out a, a really great catchy pop album. Well, yeah, she's having a beats. moment. She's yeah, having she a moment. Is. She's been I mean, great. she's she's the song they play. You know, when they're advertising the Grammys, she is the music that's leading in and out of, you know, NBA games and such. She's, you know, they're a million it's profiles. It's a catchy as hell album. I mean, it's, uh, there's, you know, all the singles are great, and she's done a couple of collab singles too post. The other one is, uh, and I'm not surprised I didn't make it, but I actually kind of got into this one late and liked it a lot, is the band from Chicago, Dead. Um, and it's actually um, one of the former members of Knee High and two other members. I just like, it has a total... Uh, like sort of late eighties, um, Susie Sue kind of, uh, sound to me. I, I think the, it's just a catchy, you know, record. It's, it's just a kind of a cut from a, a style of music that is very comforting to me. Um, that kind I of, uh, that. you know, sort of post-punk late eighties stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, I think those were kind of, you guys tackled a couple that I would have mentioned. So I think we can jump in, but those are, those are the two that I was probably most disappointed about. Yeah. Christian, since you were the one that gamed Dua Lipa out of her rightful place on this list, why don't you give us uh, the albums 21 through 16 as we're ranked? Sure. Um, So in 21st place, we have Adrian Lenker's Songs. In 20th, we have Songhoi Blues' Optimisme. If I'm saying that, uh, if I'm pronouncing that uh, incorrectly. You just say it with a French uh, accent. Optimisme. uh, I I will not. (laughs) In uh, in English in English tradition, but uh, number nineteen we have Gum Country somewhere. Eighteen we have Working Men's Club, a self-titled album. Seventeen is Wunderbar's Either Light, and sixteen is Billy Nomade's uh, self-titled album. And I'll I'll just talk about three of these quickly if I could, because three of them actually um, scored pretty high on my list. Starting with uh, Gum Country's Somewhere, which was number seven on my top twenty list of the year, and I would just say this is this is really I, I think this is damn fine fuzzed out guitar rock. And so, let's just take a sec to listen to the opening few bars of uh, of the Queen Rules, uh, the second track on Somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
All right. At, th- at this point, you're either in or you're out. So I, I can sort of keep my acclaim pretty brief. Um, I think you know this sound, uh, and I'm not going to make any claims about originality. These are, you know, mega fans of 90s rock, blooded on, you know, everyone from Sonic Youth to the Breeders to, to Pavement and Dino Jr. and Blind Melon. And, you know, so what if the subject is pretty light? I think there is, uh, by my count, a song about a th- the therapeutic fun of playing tennis, which checks out for me over the last six months. Um, Another one about watering plants, which checks out for me over the last six months. And uh, even one about the queen, which uh, as of the return of the crown over Thanksgiving, checks out for me over the last six months. So I would like to say, so what? Um, And shut up. And faced with the desperate misanthropy that reached over the horizon in June 2020, um, I very, very badly needed to cloak myself in some comfort music. And this is it. So bottom line, I think, you know, Courtney Garvin of, uh, of the Courtney's and Connor Mayer bring this sort of bubblegum, like deadpan lyrics to hook-laden, fuzzed-out electric guitars. And it reminds me of just all the best stuff I like. So I think it definitely belongs on this list, uh, and your opinions don't matter. Moving on to... (laughs) You cloaked yourself in a Fender Mustang of fuzz. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. I love this stuff. So moving on to a band that I I know you guys have a soft spot for, too, um, and that's uh, that's Vunderbar. And Smell Smoke, obviously, was a a real sort of breakout, I think, for them, and and just a terrific, terrific record a couple years ago. Um, This is their follow-up, Either Light, uh, which placed number five on my list. And I think you know, as, as Wunderbar, have, as they have done in the past, Either Light, you know, is it, sort of, it sounds like a pretty positive record or a pretty optimistic record, um, and it's sort of ruminating on some heavy, heavy motifs. Um, and you might remember that Smell Smoke was uh, was written after Brandon Hagen had, had cared for, for a family member over their sort of four or five year decline, I think. And, and the intensity of a lot of those feelings tend to sort of creep into the writing and the delivery of the vocals, even when the music doesn't necessarily match. And I think that that interplay is, is sort of incidentally like really one of the qualities that, that I love most about the band. And so here again, we've got like, we've got songs that aren't super dense and they're actually clocking in sort of below the, the four minute mark in a lot of cases. But, but I think, you know, what I love about this is, is that the instrumentation is really pretty outstanding. So we've got, they, they brought in a producer for the first time in uh, Patrick Highland, um, who, uh, who you guys know from Mitski fame. And they, uh, they brought in, you know, their touring bassist, Zachary Abramo, and, and added some vocals from Emily Massey of, of Slow Pulp. And I think the, the end result here is an album that feels kind of tighter, brighter, and, and a little poppier than, uh, than anything they've done before, which is a cool direction for them. So I was hoping we could hear a couple of bars of, of montage music before, uh, before rounding out um, this section with a, with a quick discussion of Billy Nomates. Nomates, a.k.a. Tor Marie, uh, is a new Lester artist bringing the, I think, sort of refreshing shot of proletarian attitude, uh, perfect for a music industry that is trying to figure out how to make the most productive use of, of COVID-19. And I think, you know, what I love about this self-titled album is is in addition, I, I think to begin with, the themes are sort of egalitarian and, and it has a ton of urgency and, and is you know still kind of playful in a way that uh, maybe somebody like Courtney Barnett would be. So with a song like FNP or Forgot Normal People, you know, it, it's simultaneously sort of wet with venom, I think, about sort of the hardship of, of affording a normal life in England. Whereas, uh, you know, happy misery mocks the, the superiority complex of, of folks who, who somehow sort of earn their stripes by fighting through the difficult 80s and 90s. And I think, you know, after a, a economic meltdown a decade ago and now coronavirus, um, you know, I think 
we kind of finally have to hand it to the to the kids today. Their life sucks the most. So, you know, musically anyway, I, I think songs like FMP and Wild Arena are, are, are pretty cool because they're constructed around these sparse, like electro clash, drum loops, and, and pretty spare synth interjections. But, but what really makes this album stand out for me is her vocals. Uh, and these are really kind of fierce. Um, you know, I think you can hear on songs like Hippie Elite, the style that sort of calls to mind for me, everybody from, from Chrissy Hine to Peaches to, to PJ Harvey, but still occasionally has, you know, space for, for these like kind of elegant little melodies as in, uh, as in Supermarket Sweep, which, which features Jason Williamson from Sleaford Mods. So I think, you know, we'll, Let's listen to a quick slice from the beginning of Billy Nomate's Hippie Elite and then uh, and then turn it back over to the next chunk of the list. Well, I'm sorry I can't stop and chat. No, I won't be signing up for that. It's okay, I'm a terrible person. Well, I want to save the whales too. But it's a fucking Wednesday afternoon. So a canvas bag and a smile all right thanks uh christian for running down the first chunk of records there brother 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 our end of the year 21 best albums and uh our next kind of block 15 through 10 is going to kick off with uh, number 15. I think the um, much, much uh, and rightly hyped Phoebe Bridges' Punisher, which uh, talk about um, woman of the year. She's been everywhere. Sturgill Simpson's Cutting Grass, and we can just say volume one and two if you guys are cool with that. 13 is a band Fuzz in the album Three. And then uh, at number 12, Nation of Language Presence. 11, um, one that's been... I've been playing a lot lately. Avalanches, we will always love you. And then at uh, number 10, a uh, frequent visitor of the year-end list, uh, Run the Jewels with their fourth uh, album, number four. So, uh, Wynn, why don't you uh, talk about the um, Avalanches, which I know is uh, one of your favorite albums of the year. Yeah, that was my number three album of the year, and and in making a steady, you know, sort of move towards the top of the list, I've been playing it sort of nonstop since it came out on December 11th. I think it's uh, phenomenal. The Avalanches, if you're not familiar, uh, sort of a collage collective from Australia. They put out a huge record in 2000, Since I Left You, and then took 16 years to follow it up. So the third album, this is the third album they've put out in 20 years, and the second one they've put out in the last four. And uh, We Will Always Love You is... uh, I think you 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 can sort of divine how worldwide uh their their uh allegiance has become and their and their fan base has become by the uh the people who are on this album i mean it is the weirdest most fun guest list of any record i can remember certainly sort of uh daft punk level uh pull for these folks um and i'll start off by you know i just want to actually name a bunch of these folks leon bridges as on interstellar love rivers cuomo dev hines of blood orange Perry Farrell, Vashti Bunyan, and uh, Sonata Matria, who I, you know, doing a little digging, I actually hadn't realized this until I started doing research on this album, but um, uh, Sonata Matria is uh, the current moniker of the former Terrence Trent Darby. Terrence Trent Darby, of course, uh, a massive made a massive landing in 1988 with the um, hard line, according to Terrence Trent. Wishing well. Yeah, had four hit, huge hits and then kind of disappeared from the world. Um, part of it was, you know, he sort of bullshitted his backstory like uh, Hilaria Baldwin. And, um, you know, he sort of pretended to be British. And then he said he put out the greatest album since Sgt. Pepper's, which in 1988 kind of uh, was sacrilege. But anyway, apparently he's back, and, and they're on uh, a track called Reflecting Lights, which is a fantastic song. Uh, Denzel Curry, Tricky, Nina Cherry, Jamie XX, Johnny Marr, Kurt Vile, MGMT on Running Red Lights, uh, Karen O. And then uh, the aforementioned Clash in One Ear, 
Burt Bacharach and the other, Mick Jones singing, uh, Karen Carpenter singing uh, Burt Bacharach on We Go On. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal track, and it's about as good as I had imagined it back in uh, 1999. So um, I love this album. I think this is going to be the album like uh, Michael Kiwanuka's album last year and Mitski the year before, where I have them in my rankings and after the calendar turns to the next year would would have been my number one um had i had the you know the time to spend with it so uh like i said it was my number three but it it could very well wind up being my favorite of this year uh, if it continues to to take up real estate the way it has in the last month so um anyway uh nation of language uh was another very interesting album i uh i likened it to uh uh, Cut Copy, who put out a number of great albums in the 2000s. Jerry, what do you think of uh, Nation of Language? They're uh, Christian's number two and collectively our number 12. Yeah, it's, um, so Christian had this one pretty high, and I think actually turned us on to it when it came out. Um, I really like this album. It didn't, didn't crack my top 20, but I think it's a great record. Band from Brooklyn. Um, it's a three-piece, so Richard Devaney, Guitar, Aiden Noel, and uh, Michael Supo on bass. Two of the members, Supo and, and uh, I believe Devaney, were in a band called the Static Jacks. And uh, surprise, surprise, they were sort of uh, influenced and started Nation of Language after um, you know hearing Electricity by OMD, <laughs> which um, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and uh, since they sound a lot to me like that sort of era of um, synth-heavy 80s pop, you know, um, I think one of the the things that these guys have, you know, there's different versions of that. There's sort of the, the Joy Division and, and, and then the popular sort of OMD and experimental stuff from the 80s. And I think these guys do a great job of kind of blending that all. The single... September again is a is was a kicking single that definitely was on heavy rotation for me all year, and then I think just in general the the record just has a really great nostalgic but still very current feel to it. Um, interesting too is uh, I guess the uh, vocalist uh, Devaney has a side project with uh, Strokes drummer uh, what is it Fabrizio Moretti is that right Am I yeah. saying that right Yeah and, and so he actually Moretti does play on some of the tracks on this album, plays drums on some of the album, who's a great drummer, as we all know. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good pick, Christian. I'm glad I made the list. Um, I uh, was actually listening to this, I think, like a couple of weeks ago, just driving around when it was snowing up here. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a definitely up there. The other one we were going to talk about, and, and I'll throw this over to you, Christian, was um, Fuzz, who uh, was another one that's high on your list, when I think this was on your list as well. It was just, it just fell off my list. But I'm glad, oh, okay. I'm glad to see it back. It was a, I love this album, and it's a Ty Siegel side Rock project. Rock and roll. One of yep. his 12,000 side projects. But Christian, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think as, as we've uh, we've now widely recognized, um, 2020 was uh, was actually kind of a disaster year. By my estimate, it's say. actually the only year since 2008 that Ty Siegel didn't release an album under his own name. <laughs> Mercifully, I think uh, it was not a complete empty hellscape. Siegel announced that he was going to release works from a few different side projects. And I think for, for me, most enjoyably, this this came from Fuzz. Uh, so he, this is just like raw guitar power rock and roll music. And, uh, you know, appropriately, Ty Siegel actually plays drums here. Um, so I guess eat your heart out, Dave Grohl. But uh, but he collaborates with, you know, his, his longtime co-conspirators, Charles Muthart, and uh, and the and the Meat Bodies, uh, Chad Ubovich, who do most of the the heavy six and and four string lifting. I think you know th- this album is the second, uh, I believe, second by or second Ty Siegel album to be to be produced by Steve Albini. Um, so you know, as, as listeners probably uh, probably know, um, Steve Albini first appeared in support of Siegel's. Uh, conquest of, of rock and roll um on the live to tape album deforming lobes um and uh and you know i think he he delivers another dose of, of just bone crushing heavy metal mischief here you know it, it, it's funny it's it's effortless um uh, to to just sort of to just absolutely like slam um with with their uh with with their three piece here but you know they they weave sort of woozy boogie rhythms into like 
sludge rock and and these sort of Black Sabbath style like lurches um, showing you know they're just they're too difficult to pin down and and they're also like there's an irreverence about this that that like separates them from the the sort of stony faced like apostles of heavy metal who they're imitating um and i think that that's that's sort of what i love best about it is that like the result is like it just feels like a a ripping good time but it's like it's for music fans and i go back to the same thing i've always said every single time we've talked about ty siegel which is like i feel like this guy is just is like making music just for me like he gets it we have the same taste and it's awesome well, I think if he keeps making music at the same pace, he will have made an album for every individual on earth. So, yes, um, <laughs> yeah, I love I love the Fuzz album. I was really psyched uh, when I heard it. It's just a it's a heavy dose of of Sabbath. It's just uh, you know it's it's a lot of fun. But anyway, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we uh, we'll crack the top ten. Back to Brother, 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 where today we are counting down the uh, top 21 albums of um, 2020. Uh, so we have just rounded out the numbers 21 through uh, through 10, and we are ready to dive into albums 9 through 4. So at number 9, we have Heim, Women in Music, Part 3. 8, we have Jesse Ware, What's Your Pleasure? 7, we have Salt, Untitled, Black Is... Six, we have Bardi's Strange, Live Forever. Five, we have Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. And four, we have Caribou, Suddenly. Jer, what did you think about these? It's a murderer's row right there. Um, <clears throat> quite a lineup. I, uh, I'm going to throw a couple out there. Um, you know, I think the Haim album's been talked about a lot. I know Wynn and I both were huge Jesse Ware fans. I, I really love that album. It's talking, you were talking about dance floor stuff earlier, Christian. It's a great disco uh, funk record. But I'm going to talk about the Barty Strange record at number six. So, uh I actually stumbled upon this record, um, which is getting a, a lot of press right now at the end of the year. I guess on one of our "What Are You Listening To?" Uh, episode quarterly episodes, and uh, I just listened to it without any backstory. And the one thing that hit me was, man, this guy really jumps genres like in a way that works. So there were songs that almost sounded, you know, very hip hop influenced to songs that sounded as lo-fi as a, uh, you know, Alex G track um acoustic track and it just kind of everything i liked everything which is rare when you know sometimes that can be a little annoying when somebody's just too all over the place and can't focus but um learning a little more about the backstory you know barty strange resides in dc from oklahoma grew up i think as an army brat you know was uh kind of classically trained and uh had some opera (laughs) training you know, listen yeah, to as an opera like, singer with his mom. Yeah, tour right as a young young lad. I was trying to sorry, I had it written down and I can't read my own handwriting. What his, his actual proper name is? When do you know off the top of your head? It's um, yes, it is uh, Bertie's Cox. Bertie's Cox. That's right. So the cool thing about this record is it really just he's a music lover, kind of like what you were talking about, Christian with. Uh, Seagull, except for, you know, kind of branches all over from rock to hip hop to everything. And and he sort of got his name by, he was working in DC for an environmental action agency, 31 years old, and put out an EP of of national covers, which national clinged on to and uh, and kind of helped push his name and, and and released. And this is his first debut album. It's an album that really jumped the ranks for me um, over the last few months. I kind of was looking for new music. Like I said, sort of stumbled upon it by accident. You know, 
just constantly have listened to it since and, and tried to turn as many people onto it as I can. And now he's really getting a lot of uh, due here at the end of the year. I know Sound Opinions talked about him on their episode. I've seen him on a lot of best of lists. There's a good article from Rolling Stone in October as well. Yeah, he's a, it's a really interesting story. He, you know, as you said, uh, he did. The, he was prompted to do the national covers EP because he said he was the only African American guy at, or you know, next to the only African American guy at a at a national show in D.C. So he went home and recorded a, a series of national covers, and Aaron Dessner actually was the one that put it out. The the thing that I found interesting on this is, you know, because my first touchstone was definitely TV on the radio. There's some stuff and you know, in interviews he said that he's a huge TV on the radio fan. But the other the other thing is as I listened closely, more closely to these songs, you hear like because his vocals are kind of pushed down in the mix a little bit, you don't recognize the vocal talent that you're dealing with, but when you listen more closely, you really hear that this guy has a powerful voice. So I'm psyched to see him live. Yeah, definitely. It's um I think it's a it's yeah, it's one of those records that like I said, you kind of you're listening to it and you forget that you're listening to that the record because it, it jumps into such a different different uh sounds. Sounds like a myth. The single lead single boomers is a great start, um, for those of you who haven't heard Bartise and uh we can hear a minute of that and then we'll uh I'll jump back in. The other album off this kind of uh, list here, and, and the reason kind of skipping over like Fiona Apple and some of the other ones are just those albums have got, been talked about so much. And, and this one we talked about a little bit, we've talked about, but I haven't heard a lot of other folks talk about is the, the Caribou album, Suddenly, which I believe made all three of our lists. I know is uh, very high on mine. You know, just another really solid record. And I think somebody who continues to get better and better um, as it goes on, it's a... Uh, Daniel Snaith, Canadian, originally lives in England, is a, a mathematician genius, apparently, and also uh, a music genius or becoming one. And I think Snaith started off with, uh, under the Caribou moniker. I found it, or the early stuff to be really sort of more like um, psychedelic and definitely had like a groove to it, sort of in the you know Tame Impala vein of, of a groove, but definitely more sort of shoegaze and, and psychedelic. And then with 2010 swim i felt like there was a bit of a shift to to dance floor and, and dj culture music and, and he's kind of stayed in that that realm for the this record in particular this is an album that kind of grew on me a little slowly it starts off a little mellow but then with singles like home and and um other tracks on this album i just felt like it was an album that i i have on vinyl so i ended up listening to start to finish quite a bit this year um and i know it was one of your favorites too but i i found this record to be just one that um just stayed with me all year and and really kind of was something that i could pop on in any mood and with any company what'd you guys think of the caribou record i love it and uh you the you rightly pointed out the single home but um one question i wanted to ask you guys and uh is and the, the sort of harkens back to uh, Christian rightly pointing out that Megan Thee Stallion was, um, you know, should have been possibly on this list and had a had a massive year. I didn't find myself. I found myself listening to a lot mellower music because I was home all the time. Did do you think it changed you guys' uh, listening habits at all? Yeah, generally, I think I think it did. It made it. it so yeah. you know, I think I would have probably included some slightly more aggressive punk records like Chubby and the Gang or Catholic Action that, that I think are yeah exactly that I think are like I, you, you you get so much mileage in those from from seeing this band live and from sort of you know from being part of an experience and being sort of part of the part of the uh interactive event I guess enthusiasm um, yeah 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 I agree I... the long the long lineups you know and the the actual like uh the billings themselves mean that you end up discovering a ton of music that way, which which I feel was like one area where I, I sort of sorely, that I sorely missed. Yeah, I was going to say, I think aggressive music in general, 
it, the, the one thing this year really we missed out on, and, and so did everybody, and was the they just going down and seeing a band that you hear a little bit of, and then that live show kind of pushes you over the edge. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where I, I will go out on a Wednesday night and, and be happy to spend, you know, 15 to $25 to see a band that I think sounds pretty good. And, and then after walking away from that show, I'm fully invested in them. And I think with, you know, to your point, Christian Punk and, and some of the, the sort of louder rock stuff, that's definitely something that, uh, that we missed out on this year. Yeah. I mean, I think about, I think back to the, the shows that I actually had tickets for, um, before, you know, right before or right when everything closed down. I mean, Amel and the Sniffers and, you know, Beach Slang and bands like that where, you know, the the live show is going to push uh, the album up your list of, of, you know, favorite moments of the year. And, uh, you know, I find myself listening to a lot of mellow stuff that both my wife and I enjoy, but um, isn't challenging uh, in the same sense. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a lot more singer-songwriter of a year for me. Well, that's another good point, too, and both of you are living with significant others when your wife and, and Christian, your girlfriend, that does, I think, change your listening a little bit, too. Big time. Especially when you're both home. Yeah, and not driving anywhere. Not driving anywhere, not flying anywhere, um, yeah. and not seeing live music. Those are three major contr- contributing factors in my, in my sort of uh, redirection. So anyway, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we will do our top three. back to the brother 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 podcast it is the end of 2020 thankfully and uh, we are talking about the best albums of 2020 uh, we're down to our top three and uh, number three um, is sort of a carryover from what I was just talking about the uh, my sort of dependence on the singer songwriter album this year uh, because I was listening to so much music alone and, and again, in, inside with my wife. And this album was on my Spotify as the most listened to new album of the year, and that is Waxahachie's St. Cloud, uh, which is a beautiful, beautifully written and uh, beautifully executed album. A bit of a departure from the other Waxahachie, the other albums that Katie Crutchfield has put out under the moniker Waxahachie in that it's, she, I believe, moved back down south, and this definitely has more of a southern feel and more of a, a country-ish lean to it. So um, I love this. Um, I listened to it endlessly, and it also had the benefit of coming out early in the year so that I got to spend probably more time with it than any other record uh, i know it was really high on your list too jeremy what uh and and not on your list i don't think christian but um i please chime in if, if you've got opinions on it yeah i um i had this as number two um i think everything she's done you know her last three albums prior have been excellent i think there was a couple life changes uh, you mentioned living down south or moving back to the south and then i think she i may have read that she sobered up as well i always love her lyrics they always felt like a kind of uh realistic night out in my 20s at times and so uh i think um she may have had a few too many of those and and kind of um hit a, a different level with this record but um i think one other thing to just note about waxahachie is, is all of her albums kind of clock in around 35 minutes 40 i think this one's at 40 minutes at the most which um, makes for, a, I think, a really great listening experience. They're tight songs, and uh, she's a, a great writer, so um, I agree. And I think, Christian, you did have this on your list, but just probably lower than one and I. I didn't, and, you know, I, I, 
I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, so I don't really have anything to say about it. Yeah, well, I'll pick that up where you left off. Uh, I think I saw that you know that interview. I think that we all watched with uh, George Saunders and Jason Isbell a couple years ago. Uh, that was in GQ, and um, I find that Katie Crutchfield has the same talent for this that Jason Isbell does, which is writing about subjects that have been written about a million times and doing it somehow differently. And also, there is a melancholy to her happiness and a happiness to her melancholy, I think, that uh, you know really uh, makes her stand out. I think she is great at writing songs that are not 100% in any emotionally any emotional um, silo. I think she sort of understands the the difficulties of or the or the trepidations of being happy, the distrust of being happy, and and the sort of the happiness and being able to sort of scrutinize when you are having you know living well and doing well and and uh, sort of second guessing that. And that's always a a land where I feel like I live. And um, I think she speaks to it extremely well. So I love Saint Cloud. Agreed. Screw you, Christian. Number two was on all of, very high on all of our lists. It was my number two. I believe it was Jared's number two. And I don't remember where it fell on your list, Christian, but it is a double album from Cutworms called Nobody Lives Here Anymore. This is, this is the, the uh, album, I think, that's highest on our list that I haven't seen on a lot of other people's lists. And, uh, I don't I think don't I've seen it on why. any list, to be honest. Yeah, Christian, what do, what do you... Uh, what do you think of Cutworms? Didn't make my list either, actually. Um, of the top three, uh, it was it was you two taking commanding lead of, of two of these, but but I think it was terrific. Um, it was uh, it was a narrow miss for me. I uh, I came to it much later in the year, and I think didn't spend as much time with it as uh, as either of you did. Yeah, it does. It's a grower. Um, I think, you know, my the the immediate touch points just uh, because of the tenor of his voice. Um, you know, they immediately brought to mind Graham Parsons and uh, Flying Burrito Brothers and uh, the birds, and then there's some sort of, you know, latitude in that, in that camp. But it, I don't think that's an accident at all. I, haven't, I don't know much about Cutworms other than the, it's a, you know, one-man one outfit, um, and he's from Ohio living in Brooklyn. But, uh, Jer, what, uh, what are your thoughts on, on Nobody Lives Here Anymore? Yeah, it's just, I mean, I think to your point, when it's, a, you know, the kind of my favorite mix of that cosmic cowboy sound, um, Flying Burrito Brothers was definitely my touch point as well. And I just think, you know, for a double album, um, and we can talk a little bit about double albums as well this year, since people had a lot of, a lot of time in studio and less time on the road, um, you know... I rarely want or need a double album from anybody, even artists I really like. And this is just a record you could kind of throw on, and it had a a, a weight in lyrics, so it, it's not a corny album by any means, or, or you know, the the lyrical weight is there, but it, it's also um, just easy, and I think keeps like a really good pace. It's um it's a it's a record that you know I literally kind of forget is on in, in the best way, and and especially in these times where we're working from home and things like that, it's another record too that I think anybody I've mentioned it to to listen to really enjoys it, no matter what their kind of preference is. Uh, it, it's not too much of one thing, so it's not over the top, you know, kind of country western swing. It's not you know over the top, you know, anything. It's a, the guy's name is Max Clark. And, and I have to say it, it, like, it doesn't feel like a put on. This feels like music that comes to him naturally. Yeah. That's what I guess I'm trying to say. It doesn't sound like somebody doing the flying burrito brothers. It just happens to sound, have that, that kind of, um, that range, but it's definitely unique. I think if you listen to some the first album as well, you know, you definitely just see that this guy has his own thing going on. Yeah, I, I, I was you really glad you turned me on to it. And sorry, go ahead. I think there's there's some credit attributable to uh, the fact that he he went down to Nashville to um, was it Nashville or Memphis? Uh, but he went and worked with Matt Ross Spang, who has done stuff for Jason Isbell and, and Margot Price before. So I think like the the sort of you know the purity of of a lot of the tone that we're talking about and and like really i I think you know producing well those sort of like traditional sounds is is um you know sort of a specialty that that was i'm sure has has the prince of of such a great producer all over it 
Yeah, I, I buy. You know, I definitely give a lot of credit to the person who who produced this because it, it is an incredibly clean uh, sound. But it, you, so Jerry, you brought up that it's a double album, and and we were yeah. You know, one sort of last thing on, on Cutworms. On. I'm sorry that that thing, Christian. What you just said about the producer. There's something and not in sound at all. But that does kind of remind me of Dylan's Nashville Skyline. And I think it's just that, right? That it's completely, that album is completely unique because it's Bob Dylan and, and Bob Dylan is always unique. But the, the sound and the music behind it is, is very tailored, but in a way that really works. And I feel like Cutworms has that same kind of appeal. Like it's unique, but definitely has that tailored sound that, that really works. Sorry. And uh, you were going to say when the double album, so this, this was a true double album. And then we also had a string of people putting out two albums. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, as you said, a lot of people had a lot of time in the studio because they weren't on the road. And, and I think a number of uh, artists this year, including Taylor Swift, who was on your list, Jaron, uh, not on uh, Christian and mine, but Taylor Swift put out two records that are quite obviously from the same sessions. Salt put out two mm-hmm. albums, which are, appear to be from the same sessions. Um, and then, you know, I, I believe the Avalanche's... Um, I don't have it physically, but I, I think that's a double album. Cutworms double album. So a lot of people. Um, Sturgill you know, who made our to, list. Yeah, Sturgill, uh, two albums from the same sessions, I would imagine. So it kind of seems like that you know that was a a trend this year that that you know fits perfectly within the narrative of we all got locked at home. Oh yeah, I definitely think it had to have been. I mean, I think for some of those folks, I mean, the Sturgill is really just a continuation. Obviously, you know, this Cutworms sessions had, had enough material to make a, a very solid double album. Um, you know, you can kind of argue back and forth on whether the, you know, there, there is the, the tendency of, and I'll say probably the Taylor Swift is a good example of somebody who was just really happy with their, their the session and wanted to release more, but one album is definitely stronger than the other. And I feel that way about The Salt as well. I feel like uh, The Black is is the superior of the two. Um, both are worth listening to. Yeah, they're of a piece, I think. Anyway, that brings us to our number one album of the year, which is uh, Drum Roll. And I wish I had like a Casey Kasem kind of announcer voice. But uh, Christian, what is the number one album for Brother, Brother, Brother this year? It's Perfume Genius. Set my heart on fire immediately. Yeah, it's awesome. And, um, this is, uh, I mean, you know, weeks we've, at we've number one. We've, yeah, we've we've talked a we've talked a ton about about Perfume Genius here over the years, and and um and Mike Hadrias and just sort of his his evolution and development as an artist, which which I really think has been just so much fun to watch since uh, since you know we sort of first got him on the radar, I guess. Uh, uh, Probably in 2016, I think it was one of our earliest uh, earliest episodes, and have subsequently, I think, asserted on numerous occasions that that Queen might be the uh, the best track of the decade. But but here, really, you know, I think uh, he he sort of lands with with just a just devastating force because because what he's proven now is that the guy can also get your feet kind of shuffling a little bit and and step out of uh, what was a sort of, you know, almost orchestral type of pop into, I think, a much more complete and, and, like, body-moving pop. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what's, what's cool about this is, actually, so this album was produced by Blake Mills, who also did Fiona mm-hmm. Apple's um, album and, and Laura Marling's album mm-hmm. so he has in addition to releasing an album of his own so i think um i think he's had a, a pretty busy pretty busy year but you know this is this really does feel to me like like hadrius is sort of stepping forth into the mega mainstream and and the next album could just be giant and full of radio play mm-hmm. hits yeah if, if you didn't see it um, there was a fantastic profile piece in the New York Times earlier this year when the album that accompanied the album's release uh, by Wesley Morris on uh, Mike Hadrius and Perfume Genius. I, I highly recommend you go back and read that if you haven't already. It's a it's a terrific piece, and it, as usual with Wesley uh, Morris, it's a uh, you know very insightful and and uh, and has a real depth to it. So, but yeah, that uh, this album I love. And it's been on a lot. And again, it's an effortless listen. There's nothing you want to skip. Everything is fantastic. And there's a couple of, you know, real standout tracks. But to your point, Christian, of, of you know, sort of, you know, getting into the sort of movement element, I think there has been, I think he has been studying dance 
in in sort of in tandem with with his recording and um there is much more of a showmanship i think a visual element to uh this album than there has been on others as well uh jerry what it was your number one correct yeah, I mean, for all the reasons you guys just sort of mentioned, and, and you are correct, he was doing a lot of uh, dance and, and during the recording and, and prior and kind of influenced there. And I, I feel like out of all the records we talked about today, um, I don't know what it was. This one just seemed to have like a soul to it that uh, that really kind of hits you um, in the same way like, you know, Prince or somebody, I don't know, just somebody that kind of hits you on a different level of uh, music, or at least for me. I, I really like the rhythm, and, and the lyrics are great, and, and the singing and, and the songs are, are wonderful start to finish. But one thing that, on repeated listens for this one, um, that there's a longing that I think really fits into 2020 as well, um, that seems to be throughout the album, but also just the rhythm section. It, it almost reminds me of like, uh, you know, classic Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, the bass and drums are, are just kind of, um, I don't know, they just have that sort of like beat in that sort of step behind yeah. that, that Fleetwood Mac had. Yeah, that just sound excellent. Like Without You being, you know, a song that I actually threw on our playlist or uh, this year is a song that I just, you know, cannot get enough of the rhythm section of that song. And, and not to mention that the lyrics are great and everything else about it is, is wonderful. But, um, yeah, I can't say enough about this record. It, it was one that came out fairly early in the year. The Wesley Morris uh, article is awesome and you should definitely check it out. We'll link to it, but it was also a bit of a slow growth growth album for me. Like I listened to it. I liked it. I like perfume genius. I generally like what he puts out, but I don't know what when it hit, and it may have been during sort of the height of lockdown and where I really kind of paid more attention to this record and, and uh, fell in love with it. So I'm very happy that it's number one, and uh, I, I think it's a, deservedly so. It's a, I think it's the best album of the year. And I think I, I would, well, make two two more points. One is uh, just to add on to what you said, Jer, that, that um, the the backup group is really like, I mean, this is like, sort of session musician aristocracy it's it's um like jim keltner matt chamberlain and, and pino uh paladino who who have like variously backed up bruce springsteen elton john no, uh and clapton nice. you know it's like it, these these guys are, it's as good as you it's as good as money can buy and and so if it, you know that quality really is what you're hearing and it's it's uh it's not a false impression i guess but but the other thing you know is that is that we've got to mention is, is the way that, you know, Hadrius is, is, and Perfume Genius are really sort of taking on a, a very current issue of sort of, you know, gender identity fluidity. And, and, um, this is becoming, I think he's put that sort of front and center in his music and, and sort of his, his own sort of public persona. And really, you know, rather than sort of shying away from this issue is just, it just fucking owns it in a public way that I think is is um, inspiring for a, for a lot of people, and you know, and, and this album, of course, was accompanied by by an essay by um, by a award winning you know queer poet novelist uh, Ocean Vuong, uh, you know, who's who's himself gained a ton of um, press attention um, in in the last several years. So I think there's a there's a sort of a way in which this transcends just the charts and and just the music and is, is really branched out into um, into other sort of domains, which is always what the best music is going to do. It's going to push beyond the boundaries of, of whatever media it's being played through. Well, let's give it a little listen and, and come back and end this the way we end every podcast, but this is how we're going to end our year. So uh, let's take a little listen and come back. i 
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, We're going to end this episode and this year the way we end every episode, and that is asking Christian what he's listening to so that he can punt it to somebody else. Christian, what are you listening to? Jer? <laughs> I, won't, I won't steal any of yours, Christian. Um, Thank you. I am listening to, well, first off, I'm just about to wrap up, which I think I mentioned on a previous pod, the uh, All Right, All Right, All Right, The Oral History of Richard Linklater's Days and Confused by Melissa Mares. Um, and I uh, apologize if I pronounced her last name wrong, but just a, I love oral histories. I think we all do, uh, you know, in the Legs McNeil kind of uh, tradition. It's a great book. In general, I mean, Days Confused, I think, means a lot to a lot of different people for different reasons, or maybe for the same reason, really capturing high school and uh, the monotony and the kind of, uh, you know, quest for a six-pack of beer. But I also, uh, you know, it's also kind of a, a, you know, a future sort of star-studded cast in cast's first movie, including Matthew McConaughey, you know, um, Ben Affleck, you know, so it's kind of really interesting to hear about that. And then I'm also just a big fan of Richard Linklater. Um, I think he, you know, kind of captures that true independent spirit. So there's a lot of sort of industry insights that are, are very cool. And having done a brief stint in the film industry, when or and I know when I think you'll find it really interesting for your writing work as well. Just kind of being around studios and things like that. Yeah, I can't say enough. I really, I really love it. And uh, I will hand it off to whoever as soon as I finish it because I think you guys will both enjoy it quite a bit. And then I also, uh, you know, have been kind of like all of us checking out some of the the best movies of the year. Um, I did end up watching Sound of Metal, which is the story of a a heavy metal drummer who, you know, suddenly kind of loses his hearing. And it stars uh, Riz Ahmed. Who was in? It was the Night of, right? Is that or is it? Uh, yeah, he was the was Night the, of and Nightcrawler. Yeah, that's right. Nightcrawler. I really, he's very, very. I think one of the top actors of of his of this fucking day, and, and he's great in this as well. The movie that's just it's just kind of interesting movie. I mean, it's it's a it's a great kind of topic. It's I think done well. I was. Um, it's one of those movies that I'd be interested to see if you guys haven't seen it. What you think? Because I, I always felt like it was kind of skirting on the edge of disaster as far as something I really didn't want to watch, but ends up in in my mind um, kind of pulling it out, and, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, that's uh, what I've been uh, listening to and reading. Christian, do you need to punt to win, or do you uh, do you want to go next? No, no, I'll I'll uh, I'll pick up from there. Um, I there. Two things really I'd I'd talk about. One is uh one is Lovers Rock, um, which is the second I don't know, would you say episode or film? Um in uh, They call them episodes. I feel like they're films though. Well they they are certainly film length, um, between seventy minutes, say, and, and two hours. I think the way they were the way they were presented at the was it Tribeca or New York Film Festival that just took place recently was as a as a standalone film but like as part of you know it, as part of a series but but um opened as a standalone even though it was the second episode or installation i think um, it's an anthology but, of five movies yeah okay it is it's amazon presents it as episodes which is annoying yes so so take up my confusion with with amazon but i think yeah it, it's it's basically part two of a of a five-part series that that sort of documents and examines blackness in uh late 1970s early 1980s britain and opening with a uh a, a famous um trial and and case in, in, uh, of of police police malfeasance and, and brutality and uh and then turning very abruptly i think to uh to the second part which is um just a sort of beautiful uh character development and sort of vignette told through the lens of really just one evening at a at a house party um in uh in northwest London. So um, I think it's it's really an extraordinary uh, sort of portrayal of nor- normal, I guess, uh, you know, humanity. And, and um, I think, you know, as so many of the best movies do, they are able to present you with a, a completely uneventful snapshot of uh, some segment of the world or, or some moment in time or some place that is just so so incredibly different from your own life, but at the same time, you know, familiar in certain ways. Um, and I think that it, it sort of teases out some of these, like, 
universal emotions of you know that that I think anybody anybody who's ever been eighteen can experience, um, but but also does so in a way that that you know creates a little bit of um, of sort of suspense and and at times anxiety, but ever present throughout this thing is just sort of the the pulsing like rhythm of a dance floor, um, and and that is really just an absolutely integral like it sets the the cadence and and the um and and sort of the speed of of the of the movie and it's just it's an awesome piece of filmmaking that i I, i'm just so glad i saw jerry i know you're you're a big fan too you've seen it a couple times now yeah i watched it twice i fucking loved it too and um you know the whole i guess series of films are are, you know 19 is it 1980 notting hill england and um you know the west indies neighborhood and and I got to say like this one in particular, first time I watched it, I was a little, it was a little late and I think I may or may not have had a a few too many drinks. So I sort of was kind of zoning in and out. Um, I liked it. I knew it was something that I needed to watch again. And the second time it really kind of sunk in and blew me away. And I I think you kind of nailed the essence of it, Christian, which it's just a night really at a party and um, all the little things that go, but some of the shots and some of the scenes I think are really creative and you feel like you're, you know, there, um, it's, uh, there's tension and, um, you know, music and, and, and just kind of all these little subplots going on, um, within this party. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I'm excited for you to see it, I, I agree with Christian. I, I thought it was fantastic. I would add it. It's, it's almost, it's, it's very, very striking for like how little expository, like how little help you're given, um, you are mm-hmm. parachuted into the middle of this, uh, totally. in, into the middle of this thing. And it's called like, trusting your audience. Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of got to feel your way around and, and figure out what's safe and what isn't and who you should talk to and who you shouldn't. I mean, and that's really sort of part of the, the joy of it, I think. Yeah. And that's, that, that's a thing of, I, you know, I have seen this, um, I have actually seen the film. I have not watched the film, if that makes sense. I, I, put it on mute and uh on christmas morning just because i love the visual of it and uh it is one of those great movies there are certain movies that are about a period of time and there are certain movies that are that inhabit that period of time and this does such a great job at least visually of inhabiting that period of time it's, i i always have this complaint when you know when i watch period pieces that all of the cars are perfectly clean they're of the era, but they're all perfectly clean. This is one of those ones where they get that that level of detail correct. Not it. It doesn't look like a uh, like an art directed version of 1979. It looks like 1979. No, it looks like somebody's frighteningly accurate memory of 1979, <laughs> um, yeah. which is which is in fact I think uh, uh, w- what it is in in um, in you know in, in th- of the director's own childhood, right? Yeah, actually, the fifth one is about his childhood, from what I gather. Anyway, my uh, my um, my recommendations are are uh, books the uh, um, the John Lennon um, the Last Days of John Lennon by uh, James Patterson, Dave Wedge, and Casey Sherman. Dave Wedge, whom we had on the on the podcast last uh, last episode, um, I highly recommend that. It's a great piece of. Uh, storytelling and and um you know really like i said to dave on the pod um he they trojan horsed a history of the beatles into a book called the last days of john lennon uh and much to my delight that was the case um i read another i've been reading a ton so i i too am uh working on shuggy bain uh douglas stewart book about a a young uh boy's experience with a you know, a uh, young gay man's experience in Glasgow uh, with an alcoholic mother sounds depressing as shit, and it's super entertaining, and, and I love it. Again, it transports you uh, to a place in time where, um, you know, you just you, just reading the, the description of, of uh, bathing in cold water uh, with, a, with a washcloth in a, in a group uh, men's, you know... Uh, in a basically in a boarding house, um, just made it made me cold. <laughs> um, made me physically cold. So yes, uh, anyway, the great uh, book. the line the line that stuck out to me was the the what is it the natural state of Glasgow is rain. Uh, the it keeps the grass green and the people pale and bronchial. Um, which is just like such an absolutely just sounds like a beautiful big, big and accurate description. Shot. <laughs> 
Yeah, to me, I mean, Glaswegian, uh, Scott, you know, accent uh, is is the sound of somebody with perpetual cold, and uh, I think that that is the basis of of their their interpretation of the language. Um, but it is a uh, um, again transporting. Uh, it's a great book, and it, it deserved uh, the uh, Man Booker uh, that it, it recently won. So the um, other thing I would say is that aside from aside from Marlon James, a brief history of seven killings. I don't know anybody who's written as effectively in sort of uh, dialectic like patois. Like what is you know it, it's such a it's it's such a almost non-English form of English, um, and, and so phonetic, uh, but, but written in a way that still makes it accessible. It's like, you've got to know as an author that it's difficult to broach a subject like that and to correctly and accurately capture the accents, um, and sort of write them out phonetically. It's like, you're really challenging your reader. Yeah, in both cases, I, I found myself saying things out loud, like, uh, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, they are little little puzzles in uh, in every page, but uh, which anyway. if you like, if you are obsessed with words, like is just an awesome, awesome, awesome read. Yeah, I agree. And um, I read White Ivy, which is a, a really fun um, kind of palate cleanser of a book. As far as I'm concerned, it was uh, you know it's like a juicy novel, um, and so uh, I like that as well. Anyway, you guys want to put a song on the on the eight trillion ten best songs of all time? Yeah, why don't you go, go ahead for it? Yeah, so, uh, blinded by your enthusiasm, um, I am. Uh, I'm going to put on what I think is the best single of 2020, which is "Blinding Lights" by The Weeknd. Um, nice, it's, it's a great again, song. Sort of omni omnipresent, but um, one of those ones where every time I hear it, I'm happy to have heard it. So. Uh, Welcome to the playlist, The Weekend, Abel Tesfaye. And, uh, Jer, what are you putting on? Um, I am going to throw on, um, just because 2020 sucked, and I want to throw on something <laughs> upbeat, um, I'm going to throw on Romeo by Basement Jacks. Oh, wow. Cool. Nice. And Christian? Uh, I'm going to put on First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes. Nice. 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 All right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, twenty twenty one has that kind of rebirth factor for all of us. Um, goodbye to a shitty year, and uh, it's been great talking with you guys. Sounds good. Happy New Year. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>